You are so kind. You are so good. Why would we not surrender to your ways? For your ways are good and kind. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. And please speak through me to build up your church. I'm simply a steward of what you've entrusted to my care. So deepen our faith and our love for you as we study the Bible together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get your Bibles out if you would and turn to Genesis chapter 2. We will talk about the creation of woman this morning. That's one of the nice things about doing this brief study on Genesis is that I don't have to tell you where to go. You know, just open your Bible, you're there in the first page. Starting in verse 18 through verse 25. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I'm getting feedback up here. Okay. That's not in the text, by the way. I'm getting feedback up here. That is not in the original Hebrew. Okay. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's talk about for the very first time, Something is not good in God's creation. It is not good to be alone, verse 18. And this verse really just, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Did you know that 11 times prior to this verse, we've read that everything is either good or very good in God's creation. It's the first time you read that something is not good, Man is alone. Now, because it is not good does not mean that there is something bad or evil or less than perfect in God's creation, but rather man's circumstance in creation was not yet complete. It, would, it wouldn't be good or very good until it was complete, and that completion required a woman a helper suitable for him. You see, God knew the mandate he was about to give mankind, found in Genesis 1.28. And it was impossible for man alone to achieve this mandate. You remember this? God blessed them and said to them what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And at this particular point in creation, all reproducing, reproducing creation was both male, male and female, but man alone. He did not yet have that complement, and he needs a helper equal, and here's a key word there, equal to him that will complement him in fulfilling the task of filling and taking dominion over the earth. So woman is created to meet man's insufficiency. Yes, men 
alone, we are insufficient. Now, the phrase, a helper suitable for him, literally means a helper like him. So she is, that is woman, a perfect fit for man. Now watch this, to make him capable of reproduction and ruling, because that's the mandate given to him. But what God knows Adam must know experientially. Again, but what God knows Adam must now know experientially. I think I can relate to that because I remember very vividly um, it was about 1991, I think it was the spring of 91, the point in time I would have been about 22 years old, I was in college, and I was pretty, I was a student president of Campus Crusade for Christ, I was the face of the ministry, um, everybody knew me, I was up front emceeing meetings, I would speak occasionally, I was leading Bible studies and at all the events and, and fellowship events and fun parties and retreats and so on and so forth. Um, and everybody knew me because I was up front. And it just dawned on me one Thursday night, I think it was, that for the very first time in my life, I felt alone. I'd never felt that before. And looking around, I thought, everybody knows me here, and I know them. I know some better than others, but I really don't know anybody. And where was this desire, this pain coming from? Well, it was... I was feeling alone. And I, I knew right then and there I was ready to seriously consider finding a wife and get married. It's just not good for man to be alone. Now, there are those that are given the gift of singleness. They can handle that loneliness. But I thought, well, this is what Adam must have gone through. And God reveals to Adam his need for a companion. And it's through the experience of loneliness. See, there's no one else in all creation like him, nor suitable for him. And it plays out in verses 19 to 20. The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. He did that. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. He gave names to the cattle, the birds, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found, again, a helper suitable for him. And so I want to talk about this, but also start to talk about what we just read, which is called dominion. Now, what I find interesting about these verses, verses 19 to 20, is catch this. God does not command Adam to name the beasts and the birds. You see that? What does he do? He simply brings them to Adam to see what he would call them. Well, why would he do that? Well, apparently, it was understood by both God and Adam that this was Adam's responsibility, right? Well, why was this Adam's responsibility? Well, apart from the fact that God wanted to reveal to Adam his need for a helping companion, it is obvious that Adam had already been given dominion or authority. This is before Eve was even created, folks. And we see that Adam had been given dominion already over what? The earth. Because before this, where was he placed? In the Garden of Eden. Look at Genesis 2.15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. That means that man was to cultivate or improve and to keep or protect the garden. Man is a steward of God's provision. And as a steward, it's his responsibility to give back to God what God owns in as good as, if not better condition than when he received it. So Adam had already been given dominion over the earth in that regard. Now he'd been given dominion, obviously that included over the land animals and the birds of the sky that God brought to him, and it's obvious because he was the one who named them. That's, that's verse 20. And whatever he named them, that was their name. God didn't say, no, no, you can't name him that, or can't name that animal that. He wanted to see what he would name them, and that was their name. 
So there's a long history in the Bible of assigning names, and it reveals dominion, or the word, key word here, the word dominion basically means authority. God created all things, but he gave Adam authority over the earth, authority over the animals, okay? And you see, throughout history, God named his creation. He certainly is, a, is, a, is the authority over creation. Parents named their children. Yes, children, parents are your authority. God sometimes will change a name. Remember that? Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. Pharaoh renamed Joseph. Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael renamed after being taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Jesus renamed Simon to Peter. In every one of those instances, a higher authority exercised its rule over a subordinate. So the question is, does assigning names in the biblical context imply some sort of authority? And the answer is, absolutely. Which is why Adam was given that authority and he exercised it in assigning names. He knew it. God knew it. There was no debate. That's why God just brought it to him. It was just understood. And Adam exercises the dominion and authority given to him by God. Now watch this. By naming the woman. That's verses 22 and 23. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and bartered the man. And the man said, what? This is not bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And just like God brought to man all the animals and the birds, in the same way he brings to man woman. And it's expected he is going to name her. He did not command Adam to name her. It was clearly understood by God and Adam that this was his responsibility. He simply is exercising dominion or authority by naming her woman. And then after the fall, what does he name her? Eve. But I want you to hear me on this. Man or, or, or male dominion, it's going to be clarified at the end of day six. Okay? His authority will be clarified. And it's important clarification. So just hold on for a few minutes. And I do want to clear up a common misunderstanding of how the woman was created. And we need to talk about the first surgery. Okay? The first surgery. Okay? You know what the standing joke is, right? God came to Adam and said, what? I want to make a, a person for you out of your heart. And he said, what can I get for a rib, right? Remember that joke? It's really derogatory because it's, that never happened that way. But he, there is a misconception here about this first surgery. Let's look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. I was thinking about this. This is probably the verse that humanity studied and came up with the idea for anesthesia to knock you out. You sleep while we do surgery on you, right? So here we find the first surgery. And the misunderstanding we've fallen into is with the word rib, okay? When we think of rib, we think of bone, right? Out of the 35 times this word is used in the Old Testament, this is the only time it's translated rib. And this word fails to capture the essence of the original word. Do you know what that is? It was side, or it is side. It was never rib, it's side. God literally put man to sleep, slit open his side, took out a portion of bone from the rib and some flesh or tissue. How do I know that? Because Adam says the woman is what? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So he didn't take a, a, a rib bone and that was it. He took a portion of a rib bone and some flesh and probably some blood. Okay. Men do not have one less rib than a woman. Okay, and then women, as some erroneously believe. But from the bone and blood and tissue, does God have everything he needs to build a woman? Everything is there. The DNA is there. Everything is there. And so verse 22, the Lord God fashioned into a woman 
the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So the woman was created with material from the man. And this next verse is very, very important. She was made in the image of God. Okay? She was made in the image of God. This is Genesis 1.27. God created what? Man in his own image. This is not man as male. It is man as male and female. It's mankind. In the image of God, he created him. Watch this. Male and female, he created them. So men and women, male and female, are made in the image of God. And so after God sewed up his right side, or sewed up his side, excuse me, he brought the woman to the man in all her perfection. Now, he's already spent his day doing what? Observing a parade of creatures who all have partners. Okay? He's come to the conclusion that none of them are suitable for him. And when he sees her... The first words out of his mouth, and you should probably write this down, they're a love song. It's a love song. Most translators set this apart in the text in a poetic form, and they recognize it as a poem. And so the man is overwhelmed, but obviously not speechless, (laughs) because he launches into poetry. In other words, her beauty demanded a response. And in this poem, he immediately identifies her as his family. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This phrase becomes a way of expressing family relationships, right? You see it throughout the Bible. And this is just the first instance of its use in that manner. When I was writing this and studying this, I was thinking about there was a scene in the movie um, called Goodwill Hunting. You ever see that movie? It's an older movie back in the late 90s. It's about a young boy in South Brooklyn who's a mathematical genius, but is, goes, bounces from foster home to foster home. So he's just a relational mess, in and out of trouble. And he's, uh, a, a professor at Harvard discovers his mathematical genius and pairs him up with a counselor by name, played by Robin Williams, and they form this close relationship. And he asks the counselor, you know, how did you know that you were ready to marry your wife, that she was the one? And like, what, do you even know the day? And he listed the day, I think it was October 21st, 1975. He says, you know the day? He says, yeah. That's the day of the, of the, the game six of the World Series between the Boston Red Sox and Cincinnati Reds. One of the most popular, iconic baseball games of all time. And he said he slept out all night and got tickets. And he, this kid couldn't leave. He went to that game. He's a huge Red Sox fan. And so he talked about being at the game and whatnot and, and how the, or how the game went. And the, the kid was just ecstatic. He was all excited. He said, did you rush the field? He says, no, I wasn't there. He says, I was at a bar having a drink with my future wife. And the kid couldn't believe that. He says, you missed that game to have a drink with a woman you've never met before? He said, you should have seen her. She was a stunner. When she walked into the room, she lit up the room. He knew that this was to be his wife. And that's kind of like what happened to Adam. He was just stunned. And he launches into this poetry. And men have been doing that ever since, right? We, we write music about women. And if I said that before, and I'll say it again, I look out here, you know, the women are far more prettier than the men. And so, the second greatest gift given to mankind, or given, given to man, is the woman. The first being Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, if you study this, he gives her a name, implying he has authority over her, but it's woman. And the word woman comes from a Hebrew word, you know what it means? Soft. Soft. This was his first impression of her. She was Soft. And obviously that was by God's design. Because the man is the rugged, firm, you know, rough part of the relationship. And you have the soft, gentle woman. 
to be taught, to be lived with in an understanding way. And it's always been that way. And so we see now that man has this perfect, equal partner. Verses 24 and 25, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And chapter 2 closes with a word from the Creator in this, on this relationship. And this comment in verse 24 establishes the foundation for marriage and for sexual behavior. See, marriage was intended to be a lifelong bond of one flesh between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. And this, folks, is at the very beginning of creation. Two women or two men coming together is not marriage. It is a perversion and a violation of God's clearly stated truth from the beginning. God owns marriage. He defines marriage. Any government or any man or any woman that tries to redefine that, that's not your sphere or your realm. And if you do that, you will suffer the consequences. History has shown that. When we have redefined marriage, eventually that culture, that country, that nation ceases to exist. This verse that Jesus quotes dismisses the thought that divorce can be used as a convenient option for the troubles that inevitably arise in marriage. God hates divorce. It is never preferred and only used as a last resort in a very limited number of cases. Now, verse 24 also establishes the foundation for sexual behavior. There's only one kind of sexual behavior God recognizes. That's the physical intimacy between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And so we've just eliminated now homosexuality or lesbianism, fornication, pedophilia, bestiality, and adultery caused by unbiblical divorce. They're all excluded. That is a form of sexual immorality. All sexual behavior is excluded except that which is conducted within a marriage between a man and a woman. And so God ends his day with a mandate and a blessing on day six given to, watch this now, to both man and woman to exercise dominion over his creation. And that's verse 28 of chapter one. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see this part of chapter one happens after what we read about in chapter 2 on day 6, a portion of chapter 2. So God is very busy on day 6. He has created cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth. He's created man from the dust of the earth in his own image. He planted a garden. He issued the first command. What was that command? May not eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He created woman from the bone and flesh of man in his own image. He created marriage and set the foundation for marriage and sexual behavior. And we learned that mankind, male and female, is to exercise their God-given dominion and authority. Watch this now. It's exercised through marriage. It's exercised through marriage. Now, does the Bible reference day six anywhere else? that gives us a greater understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden that day? Now, thankfully, the answer is yes. We have a little bit more to share with you about what happened in that day. And before we go there, let me sum up God's perfect original intention for male-female relationships. Now, before woman was created, man was created and given dominion over the earth. Now, this is evident I've argued by God's charge to Adam to cultivate and keep the garden, to exercise authority over all land, animals, and birds by naming them, 
and after Eve was created, to exercise his God-given authority over the woman by naming her. However, man is still incomplete. His dominion would never be achieved, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue and rule over it without help. So God creates a helpmate, and together they display authority by exercising dominion. And so from the very beginning, I want you to hear me on this, because this isn't what we grew up with, but man and woman were equal. Do you see that? They were equal. And by equal, I mean there is a distinction. There is no distinction, I mean. By equal, I mean there is no distinction spiritually. She is a co-heir in Christ. That's 1 Peter 3, 7. There is no distinction between men and women in moral responsibility. Genesis 3, 16. The curse. There is a responsibility, a curse given to the woman for her behavior. There is no distinction in worth as she is made in the image of God. That's Genesis 1, 27. The woman is not inferior to man in essence or in personhood, in emotion, intellect, will, etc., all that. She is not inferior in any way. She is equal. The only difference lies in a few physical differences, obviously, but in her function or her role. She was created by man, or she was created for man, as a, that's 1 Corinthians eleven nine, 9, as a helpmate, and together they rule. But what has happened throughout history? As a result of the fall, as we look at this in a moment, it hasn't been that way, has it? Women have not been treated equally, have they? I want you to see at this point in the sermon that where where I think the Bible, well, I don't think, I know the Bible is saying this, and I'm going to just flat out say it. Women, you never should have had to suffer and argue for the right to vote. Okay? Or for the right to get an education. Or for the right to fair pay. Do you see that that was, in the very beginning, this was God's design? Man and woman equal in every way except in function? So, let's talk about this concept here. Authority and submission. At the fall of man in Genesis 3, the curse to the woman includes Unbiblical male domination. Since you're there in Genesis chapter 2, just go to chapter 3. Read verse 16. It says, Man's rule over woman, which was to be marked by love, and we'll get into that in a moment here, is now predominantly marked by ungodly rule. Look at verse 16. That your desire should be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And history bears witness to this truth, for by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, there has been thousands of years of ungodly, unhealthy, unbiblical male domination. Okay? Women were no longer equal partners by the time Jesus arrives on the scene. They were reduced to the level of a slave or an animal. Now, do you see how far that is from Genesis chapter 2? Boy, I thought this, Keith, I thought at this point in the sermon, a lot of women would be saying, amen, yeah. And they're just quiet as a mouse. The manner in which Jesus treated women uh, was revolutionary in his brief stay on the earth. But really was nothing more than what God had set up in the Garden of Eden, what he had set up in the Garden of Eden. Male-female equality wed to male headship. See, Jesus treated women with love and with respect as fellow image bearers. Under his authority, he taught them. Women were not allowed to be taught in the Jewish community back then and in the Roman culture. He allowed them to partake in his ministry through the use of their gifts. And eventually he sacrificed his life for all mankind, including women. When the early church taught biblical male-female relationships, 
Christianity was known at that time as the great emancipator of women. They could worship with men, learn with men, use their spiritual gifts to build the church, to teach other women and children, to pursue the high calling of raising godly offspring, and so on and so on. And during the time of the Roman Empire, women suffered greatly. And of course, as a result of, of women's suffering, and it should never have been, again, I say it, it should never have been, what do you think happened? There was a women's liberation movement rose up at this time. A feminist movement. It emerged, and it taught that there was no distinction between male and female. Does that sound familiar today? <coughs> and when this movement creeped into the church, Paul was forced to address it, and he does in 1 Corinthians 11. So get your Bibles out, go to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to only look at the verses that deal with creation, what happened during this day in, on day 6. By the way, if you study uh, Roman history and you study the, and find information about the uh, women's liberation or the feminist movement during this time, it's the same thing today. They want the equal pay. They want to not stay at home. They don't want to raise kids. Okay? They, don't want, to, they want to blur all lines of distinction. Okay? It's the same thing today as it was back then. Now, Paul is dealing with this issue, and it comes up, obviously, over the issue of head coverings. We really won't get into that, but let's look at what the, this, this tells us about uh, authority and submission and what it tells us about happened back in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 3, I want you to understand, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, the term head, does anyone know what that means? You should know this. Anyone want to take a stab at it? Ruler, authority, governor. So, I want you to understand that Christ is the ruler of every man, man is the ruler of a woman, and God is the ruler of Christ. What is Paul doing here? He is giving us a, a spiritual principle. And a principle, and the principle is authority and submission. And it, watch this, it permeates the whole universe. In every relationship, there is what? Authority and submission. So there is authority and submission in the relationship between what? Man and God. There's authority and submission in the relationship between man and man, or man and woman. And there is authority and submission in the relationship between God and God. You see that? Now, when speaking of authority and submission between man and man, in this case, it's, when I say man and man, I'm talking about a man and a woman, Paul introduces something new that, quite frankly, I did not understand. I, I learned this in preparing this sermon. You see, he extends this authority and submission principle beyond the marriage relationship to every dimension of living in general. It's not husband and wife, is it? Man is the head of a woman. You see that? So man has authority over a woman, and we'll, I'll show you what he means by that. And the man, and this is the key, he must recognize God has given him authority and rule for God using his standards. Does that make sense? You see, Adam had been given authority over Eve, and with that authority came responsibility. Did he exercise that authority at the temptation? No, he did not. Was he held responsible for it? Yes, because after, even though Eve sinned first, would deceive first, only when he sinned, did sin enter the world. And God went directly to him. Well, why? Why not Eve? She sinned first. Because he had been given the authority and had the responsibility. And he was the representative head of all mankind. That's why sin is not through Eve. It entered us through Adam. Okay? Again, he'd been given dominion. 
even before he was created. And he doesn't exercise that. He must recognize that and then use it the way God intended it to be used. And the woman must realize as well in any relationship that she's been given the place of submission. This is the way God designed it. And if man does not live by this principle, chaos ensues. Think of it this way. Look at verse 3 again. If Christ does not submit to the Father, what happens? Redemption is not accomplished. Man is doomed in his sin, and God is at war within himself, right? If man does not submit to Christ, then he is dead in his sin. Judgment falls on him, and he's at war with Christ. And if woman does not submit to man in the family, the family is shattered, society is wrecked, and woman, and woman is at war with man. We are seeing that today. The breakdown of our culture goes back to, and we've talked about this before, what? The breakdown in the family. Men are not leading, women are not submitting, and so it's just a mess. It's chaos. It's chaos. And this next point is very important to understand. And it's really kind of the, the key point. This authority submission principle that we're talking about, it's to be governed by love. That's how authority is to be exercised. Dominion is to be exercised by love. Because look at this. Does Christ, the authority, love the church? Yes. Does the husband, or is he called to love the wife? Yes. Does the father love the son? Yes. See, once again, it has nothing to do with inequality or inferiority. It is only to do with a different assignment in terms of function. The woman is not inferior to the man. Again, equal, just a different role. The man, watch this, this will blow your minds away, just listen to this, is not inferior even to Christ, his head. Because God sees the man where? In Christ If you're going to be with God, you have to be as righteous and as holy as he is. You are given Christ's righteousness and holiness. You are in Christ. Therefore, you are to be in his presence equal with him. Okay? That blew my mind away too when I discovered that. In Christ, is he inferior to, to the Father? No, he's God. So that's the principle. And all three of these relationships, folks, they existed in the garden. So this is the way it has been from the very beginning. Okay? Any questions about that? I know I'm blowing us up. I'm trying to take something very complex and make us understand it in a simple way. Um, in what simplest way I understand it. If you understand that verse 3, okay, that authority submission principle right there, what does that say about women in the church and their roles? It's, 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 it, it, you know, there, it's very clear there's an authority submission principle. You have to go outside of this to put women preaching, to put women as, as pastors. You simply can't, you cannot deny this. And this exists in every sphere and every relationship. There's authority in their submission. So he did with head coverings in this issue. And so he says in verse 7 through verse 9, again, keep in mind this authority submission principle, for man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. And Paul now explains where he got this authority submission principle. This is verses 7 to 9. 
I want you to see here, it's not cultural. It's been embedded in creation from the very beginning. Man is made in the image of God to be the glory of God. This means man is the highest manifestation of God in the earth because, and it's only because of this, man has been given divine dominion over creation. This is why I brought up the point, this dominion was given to him before Eve was even created. And it's played out in history and in the world. God created man initially to rule over everything in, in this world. So man, in essence, is king of the earth. And history proves this point. Men have ruled the world. Go back in history. Who have been the rulers? It's been men. They've run governments, businesses, economies, education, pretty much every aspect of society. And they've done it with a fallen nature. And they've done it poorly in how they've treated women, who is their equal. And why did this happen? It only happened because God originally invested within man dominion. So man is a sovereign in the world. He is the delegated, hear me, the delegated authority and majesty of God. And this is why it says in Ephesians 5.22, this may help you wives, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Why the Lord? Because the man sits in the seat of dominion in the place of Christ. That's what it means in the Lord. He was given that dominion before Eve was created. Then there was Eve. There was marriage. He had that. And together with her, as a vice regent, as a queen, they ruled together. But that's just why the woman submits to the husband as to the Lord. He is the God's representative on the earth. He's the king. Now, woman is not the glory of God, but the glory of man. What does that mean? It means that the woman was made to manifest man's authority as man was made to manifest God's authority. The woman is a vice regent who rules by carrying out man's will as man is a vice regent who rules by carrying out God's will. It was all just who, what was given to man and what was given to woman. Does that make sense? Now, man is incomplete. He cannot do it alone. So he has a, he's the president, she's the vice president. He's the king, she's the queen. Together, they rule, but just with different roles. And if it's done, these relationships are done in love, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And because man was created first, God gave him dominion and then created woman to be his helper because she was created for man. That was verse 9. You see that? For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. And when you understand this now, you can understand why Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Why? For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. So it's nothing to do about any inferiority or anything. She's equal. <coughs> this is just the, the hierarchy that God created, his divine design. So it's nothing to do with culture or equality. The woman is equal. I think she's better because she's far more beautiful. It has everything to do with the created order and assignment or role, the assignment of role laid out in the Garden of Eden on day six. This is where it all began. And verses eight and nine simply reinforce this point. The origin of woman coming from man and her reason for being a helpmate created for man's sake is God's clear statement that man is in authority and the woman is in submission. Now, while this may seem heavy-handed towards women, I want you to look at this now, because Paul's going to balance everything out beautifully in verses 11 and 12. He says, however, in the Lord there is neither woman nor... There, however, in the Lord neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman. 
For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. And that's a key word is however, because it modifies everything. Even though woman came from man, was made to help man, is in submission to man, in the Lord or in Christ or in Christianity, or in the church, let's say, Men are dependent on women as much as women are dependent on men. In other words, the church desperately has to have its women function or the church will never reach maturity. This is why Paul wrote that in Christ or in the Lord, there is neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ. That's Galatians 3.28. See, we are all equally dependent upon one another. And in the Lord, there's a beautiful equality that makes man dependent on woman as woman is dependent on man. And mutually in the body of Christ, men and women labor together for his glory. And man is different. He was created from the dust of the earth. Woman was created from man. Only time that has ever happened, right? From now on, Everybody, male and female, come from who? Man? No. Woman. And the woman, really, I think, balances everything out because she is the one, it is the mother, that is the most, form, forms the character of male leadership because she's spending, in the most formative years, the most time with that, both children, male and female, but with the male child, who will eventually become, grow up into, hopefully, leaders, the, the exercising dominion, exercising the authority that God has given the male or the man, okay? So there's this beautiful you know, mutual submission that exists, but I want you to, again, go back to the fact that what we have seen in our society is not this that I'm preaching to you. It's, 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 I think you're quiet because it's, maybe it's new to you because it just hasn't been modeled, right? We live in a, a post-fallen world. Even today, <laughs> what happens in Hollywood when we screw up the roles and we put women in these action movies where they are doing the things that men are to do? How do they perform? And this is not opinion. How do they perform financially? Because that's the bottom line in Hollywood. They're, they always underperform. You can try and switch that role and do that. It will never work. At the same time, in Hollywood, and we're seeing this change, we think it's a good thing, the pay for male actors versus female actors, it's not even close. If, for example, that's what I love what Chris Pratt did. You've seen the Jurassic Park movies? He and Dallas, Bryce Howard, I think is what it is. Anyways, um, how do you say her name? Anyways, they've been in these, like three or four of these Jurassic Park movies. And the last movie, she was still was vastly underpaid. Chris Pratt didn't like that, found out about it. And so all the money he would got from any other royalties, video games, and the, the, anything else, video rentals and whatnot, he rewrote his contract and gave it to her to balance out the pay because she'd been in those movies and was just as much as a draw as his name was. That's a brief picture of, I think, the way it was always intended to be. Male-female equality that is, is wed to male headship. And that's to be a beautiful thing. And if it's not lived out, there. Trust me, folks, and we are seeing it. We have a front row seat to it every day. There's chaos. I will never forget in the summer of 1990, I was at the, um, that summer project in Ocean City. Uh, one afternoon or one, one evening, we got together, and we were all walked out to this big field. And we were put in these different stations. And there was probably six different groups of, of men and women. And they gave to the group of men and women that I was with, they gave me and said, you're the leader, solve this problem. Whoever gets it done first wins the contest. And so we were competing with these six other groups. So I took this list, 
gave it to a woman to read, and I was, as she was reading instructions, I was listening, and then I was asking questions, and we came up with this plan. And I didn't know at the time, but we were being evaluated. And that, the, the project director happened to be there and my Bible study leader. And we had come up with a plan, and we were just blowing everybody away as we executed our plan. But there was a breakdown in communication through one man who screwed things up. We ended up coming in like second to last place. When we did evaluation with all the groups afterwards, um, they said that they thought that we were going to just, you know, be first because of the plan we had created. But there was a breakdown in communication. The following week, I'm with another group of women in our Bible study of men. We're come together, and we have an assignment. And what they did is they took an assignment and just threw it on the table. No assigned leader. They wanted to see what we were going to do. Who would step up, who would lead, and all of that. And I don't remember the details of it. We just eventually kind of formed this group, I guess. And one of the girls said, well, why don't we just do this? And she basically was able to see what the, the purpose of this uh, assignment was, but we kind of blew her off, went through this whole process, eventually got to the end and gave the correct answer, and then we were free for the night. Until later that evening, we got together as they get an entire summer project, and we talked about what we learned. Obviously, one project, one assignment was an assigned leader, the other, no assigned leader. They wanted to see what we were going to do, how we were going to set up a chain of command and all of that. And one of the things I will never forget is that there were these two groups that came together, this one Bible study of men and one Bible study of women, and a very strong-willed woman and a very strong-willed man, and they fought over who would lead. Now, in that instance, in that environment, there's no, a woman can't lead and, and she should be submitted. It wasn't a church or anything like that. It, a woman could have lead, that was fine, in my opinion. But what they said, and they performed very, very poorly. What they said was, we were a dual, D-U-E-L, not a duo. So they didn't work well together. Now I would say to you, what did they not get? the authority and submission principle that is, is an, uh, embedded in every relationship. We were too young. I was a, a sophomore going to be a junior in college. I didn't understand this authority or submission. Probably authority more, but not submission. Whoever want, who wanted to submit at that age, right? And so, you guys Okay. So what did you learn about God's original design for relationships? Oh, and in fact, I learned a lot. Of course, the biggest point is that the woman is the second greatest gift that man has ever and will ever have. What did you learn? Anybody want to share real quick? He said, Yes. Set it up from the beginning. Go ahead, real quick. Uh, this was a refresher to me to bring back. With, I agree with what you're saying here. And so this was a refresher for me to, to focus in back on that. So I thank you for that refresher. Oh. How many men are, were taught again or for the first time learned you're incomplete without a woman? We can't do it. And we're never designed to do it by ourselves. Although Carol thinks she can do it by herself, but it's another sermon. So... <laughs> Anybody else? When I do it God's way, it works. Yeah. yeah. It works for entire cultures and societies. Yeah, it does. The man must rule with God's authority. Yeah. Or God's standard. And that this authority is to be governed by love. 
That was a surprise to me. Yeah. That's, That's why, why I say, when you understand that original design, you know, the women, uh, women should never have to f fight for the right to vote or to be educated or pay or the, the things that they've had to fight for that never should have been. That was never God's design. It, it's the fallen world we live in. And it's a fallen world, quite frankly, though, if it were to be completely honest with you, that the woman created with the help of man. Heaven, there's not going to be male or female, is there? I mean, you know, Christ, yeah. what we try to apply here on earth that will equal, you know, and there's uh, submission and, and leadership, but in heaven, there is no male or female. That means, are we all on the same level playing and playing field? Well, he, he will return to the way things were in the garden. So there will be there'll be, you know, the quality will be there, the love will be there. Now, whether the, the assignment or function will be the same, I don't know, but it won't matter because we'll be consumed with the Lord, okay? The, the, other than the fact that what I learned is the fact that I'm not inferior to Christ, that, that thought, because I'm in Christ, the equality versus, you know, and all that, the other thing was the fact that he had got it extended this, when I look at history, it made sense, to not just, it's outside of the marriage in the church. The man has ruled and given authority, and we've seen that throughout history. I can't think of any great conqueror and ruler that has ever been a woman. I don't mean by great, I mean it's just well-known, like Alexander the Great. What? Queen Elizabeth, okay. But I mean that conqueror the ruler, and it's always been men, and that made sense to me. I'd never considered thought of it that way, okay? And, I, and then just, just to hit me, how harmful, how heinous, how awful it's turned out. That beautiful equality has been, women have been reduced, and they never should have been, never should be. They're not inferior. They're a bit different, but they're not inferior. They're equal. Anybody else? <coughs> yeah, that's what it means to be the glory of man. So in other words... God is not, God is here, but he's not here. Who's you put in charge? Man. Okay? And man and woman, women, men and men, man and woman, rule together because he can't do it himself. But within that ruling, it's, it's the king, queen, president, and vice president, that type of relationship. Equal, but with a different role. Okay? And so, for example, when I went to Africa, who ruled my family? <coughs> she did. She is now ruling in my stead. Well, why not my son? Because he's the one that's in submission to her authority. Make sense? That's how it works. Which is why I set the boys down and told them, I'm going to be gone for two weeks. I will return. If I find out, you know, as a mom, it causes problems, you'll, there's a consequence. So now you're the man of the house and says to help her out now, but she is the king or the queen. Okay, what she says goes. And that's so important to teach that to our children because we have a culture of children that are, uh, kids are growing up that do not understand or flat out reject authority and submission. And so these kids are coming to school and they're literally attacking teachers. Uh, whoever it was up front, I didn't hear what she said. What was, what was she saying? I can't hear. What was the question? What was the question? I was referring to, if I understood it correctly from 1 Corinthians 11, that man was the primary authority, not the woman. And by carrying out the will of man, she should be carrying out the will of God. That's the, the other thing. But it's just, because the, the man is incomplete. He cannot do it himself. 
so it's not a matter of that something was evil or wrong in the garden. It's just that man was incomplete. And this is why we say that the desire for man to rule is only fulfilled through a woman. Okay? She is the greatest gift, second greatest gift given to man. Okay? For she completes him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for teaching me. And continue to bless our day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with the song. I think it's Amazing Grace. Would you stand with me? Father, you inhabit our praises, and may our praises be a pleasing, sweet-smelling aroma that rises up before you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.